It's time to go. Time to move on down the road. You're tough, but lift your head. Are you tough enough? Yeah, for what's ahead? We lead or will you follow? Be the storm or be the swallow? Will you find your way? Listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And this episode, we featured the infamous String Dusters, in particular, Jeremy Garrett. The String Dusters just uh, held fort over the held international. Fort? Yes, they held did. Fort? They were the hosts of the International uh, Bluegrass Music Association. Isn't that Jeremy- holding court? Holding court, yes. Okay. But it is so- <laughs> it's acoustic, so it's more like a, a, a fort. Right. Yeah. I say, yeah. The point being, Jeremy Garrett uh, won for the instrumental recording of the year uh, for his part in a John Weisberger produced supergroup performance of Earl Scruggs's Ground Speed. And um, congratulations to Jeremy for that. And we're very excited. We're also very proud members of Osiris Media, Seth and uh, Chris Pandolfi, also of the infamous String Dusters, has a podcast of his own called Inside the Musician's Brain. Check out the Billy Strings episode. It's fantastic. You go to OsirisPod.com to find that out and more, as well as all of our uh, episodes. And as you might have surmised, hope that's the right word, we have a guest. 
please welcome also from the infamous string dusters the brilliant guitarist and songwriter mr andy falco hello hello yay thanks for having me guys <laughs> thank you good for doing you this again. good to see you yeah right before we you see the pre-tan right we get to see each other pre-tan uh right right a little <laughs> a little pre-tan before uh, the mexico trip so February 18th, 2022 is the big date that Toward the Fray hits the stores. Yeah. Yes. Super and excited about that. Now, you broke format a little bit. Um, you've already performed one song off of it. You, you, usually you guys wait until the full length is out, correct? Before you perform a song. But I guess you figured it's the single. Yeah. We can play it. Yeah. You know, it was out. It was released. Um, you know, the single was and. Yeah, I'm not sure if we're going to wait. I Usually we tend to do that. And really the reason why we do that is just it's fun to just all of a sudden infuse, you know, a whole album's worth of new material into the show, you know, all at once. You know, sometimes rather than have a trickle in, I don't know, for some reason, I feel like it just for us anyway, it just feels like a whole new, you know, batch comes in and it just brings like a whole lift to the to the show and everything for us. But, but, you know, there's no other real reason why we don't do it, but we might, I don't know, maybe we'll start playing this stuff. You, you never do know. Yeah, well, well, how, how, what's, what's the percentage of, uh, of these songs that were written during COVID versus pre COVID. Um, oops. I'm not really, um, sorry about that. I'm not really sure um, about the other guys stuff. I think most of it was um, written during COVID. I could tell you, that there were three songs I had for this record that I think only two of them, there, there's one track that we didn't, we ended up leaving off of the, the main playlist of the record that we might end up releasing later as a bonus. But um, those three songs of mine uh, were in fact written during COVID. Um, and, and Toward the Fray is, is one of those songs that I wrote with my, uh, with my good friend, uh, uh, Travis McKevney, who is a songwriter I wrote. Um, a lot of stuff with including a song called 1901, a Canyon Odyssey that, that we um, that was on our Laws of Gravity record. And um, sadly, he just passed away um, oh, last month. Here. Uh, yeah. Sorry. But uh, so, yeah, it was kind of a uh, you know, it was it was a very, um, you know, we we had already we were releasing this thing. We had already titled the record um, Toward the Fray. And I know he was really excited that it was going to be the title track of the record. And, um, you know, unfortunately um, and sadly, tragically, he never really uh, he never, he never got to see that. But um, so I just have to give a shout out to Travis McKevney for, for that. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. The last time we talked to you and you had recorded uh, a record of original material, you guys had gotten together in a house in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, a somewhat spooky house. And that affected yeah. the recording. Did you guys do a similar thing? Were you together recording this? And did the uh, location affect the how things came out? You know, honestly, this was done in a very, very different way, this record, because of the pandemic. We weren't together. We hadn't played in six months at the time that we recorded this record. We were um, all quarantined. And we were typically we would do something like what you're talking about, you know, renting a house and doing our like pre-production. You know, we typically several sessions of you know, maybe on the road of show and tell of songs before that, you know, there would be like a succession of, of and different layers of, of, of working on the material. In this case, we shared our home demos and we, you know, got together in Denver in uh, August of 2020 after not seeing each other for six months. And we 
spent two days just playing through the songs and then we went right into the studio and, 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 and recorded them, um, which is unusual for us, but in a way it did it. it, it and, and, and in a way it was very cool. It turned out. And, and in fact, to, to, to your question, to answer your question, it did inform sort of the way that the record sounds, because I think that we, there, there's a, there's a certain spontaneity in the arrangements and the way the songs came out. And that, you know, there's a, there's a freshness that, that's that's there that sometimes you lose when you've like rehearsed it a lot or when you've really you know dove in and, and looked at every single detail with a microscope in this case it was more like what felt natural to us and what just felt immediately you know that that you know that that initial you know spark of of each song and and we were like recording them when they were at that stage so that that was kind of mm. kind of you know so do you think there'll be a residual effect of that where when, now when you play them live, they actually start taking a different growth and different direction? Or do you think they'll stay true to what the recording is? I think like anything, you know, I think that they will evolve as all songs tend to do, you know, um, from on stage. You know, you you sometimes maybe you start playing them more the way they were arranged, you know, on the recordings and then you know, over time, it's like, oh, let's add a jam here or let's extend this part or, you know, this this part, let's let's yeah. change this a little bit or let's change this ending. And, you know, and, and it starts to maybe fit into, um, you know, the live show in its own sort of way and takes on a new life. And there's five great songwriters in the band. Do the other four still surprise you with what they come up with? Every time, every time. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. I I, I feel so grateful to be able to play with each and every single one of those guys. And they're just each, each one is so talented and, um, and, and they're writing, everybody's writing has really been evolving um, as the band evolves. And yeah, it's, 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 and, you know, in, in this process too, it was interesting because yeah, like we, we all brought these songs together and, and there was, there's kind of a running theme, you know, and it's interesting, you know, without even being together, we all bring our songs in and they're, they're, they're all sort of, thematically connected for the most part in some way, you know, which was kind of cool, you know. And it's been suggested perhaps a tad more dark than previous Dusters releases. Yeah. I mean, I, some people might say that I, I, you know, for me personally, I think, yeah, there, there is, there's, there's some of, 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 of a, a strong reality, you know, I mean, we were writing a lot of these songs in 2020, you know, and, and the years, you know, leading into 2020, which, you know, we're, 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 we're tough times maybe in a, on a lot of different levels and um, in the world and everything. And, um, you know, so I think there is, you know, some of that reality that's in there and, but, you know, but I, I you know, I, I don't know, is it dark? I mean, I think that, you know, the songs really have a, a lot of hope in them. I think that, I think the theme in, in the record that it, it showed, you know, illustrates a lot of hope coming from us you know and 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 we're saying yeah there's this stuff going on but 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 things are uh, gonna get better you know I, I i think i i i think anyway i feel that way about the stuff but and is it very song oriented uh, like like the single or are there other tracks that have a little more instrumentation a little more stretching yeah there's some stretching and some there's some jams and some improvisational moments that um like, like, you know, our records, you know, we record everything live. When we go into the studio, we, we, we're all in there playing the music live. And when we get a good take, that's usually the one that we keep. And then we might overdub some, this or that and do some production posts and just, you know, I, but, but the, the core of the, of the, of the stuff that we record is, you know, recorded live, no click tracks or anything like that. 
And, um, and, you know, there are improvisational moments that, you know, you get a, a jam or something that happens and, you know, it's only going to happen that one time. And sometimes you get one that, uh, that, that, that seems worthy of putting on the record. And there's a few of those, I think on this record coming up. Yeah. Did you self-produce? Yeah. Yeah, we did. This record was, uh, just, you know, all, all us this time, you know? So, so when you self-produce like this, uh, to, does the core writer of the song kind of take the lead on that song of producing it or yeah i mean you know it's it, the way we operate really with the with the songwriting you know we share everything you know uh-huh. um we share songwriting credit we share the any kind of you know songwriter royalties you know and what that does is it it really and and, and it makes sense because you know once you bring in a song to the band and everyone starts digging in and somebody might change this chord or somebody might suggest a change in the lyric or, you know, it, it, that's when it really becomes a string duster song, you know? And so that's what we do. And so, yeah, I think, I think generally like as a default, probably the person who brought the song in is, is, has, has probably the, 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 the most sort of uh, direction going on, but, you know, we all sort of dive in and then it sort of becomes ours, you know? And, and so it's, there's a lot of, um, you know, when we're tracking something, sometimes you might practice it a few times one way. And then when you record a few takes and you actually listen back to it, it starts to reveal, you know, a few things that you might want to change or, you know, ideas are still flowing right up, you know, as you're recording it. And I think that's when there are a lot of dialogue starts to happen about, hey, we should try this or, you know, this part maybe seems a little long. Or, Can we adjust this? You know, and everybody's just sort of talking to each other in the microphones and we're actually like doing it in real time, you know, in the studio. And, and then, you know, when you get the take that seems like the special take, you, uh, you, you, you feel like you hit it. And, you know, ideally that take is the last take that you played because then you didn't waste any time. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All right. Just a couple other things. Uh, we appreciate your time. Uh, New Year's Richmond. You looking forward to that? You're going to have Keller Williams and, uh, and Sam Bush. Yeah. You'll be, you'll, I, you, mm. you'll be holding fort in Richmond. We'll be holding fort. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Um, yeah, no, I, you know, Richmond is such an awesome place. I love doing New Year's in Richmond and, um, we've done it before. I love doing, doing it there. I love playing in Richmond. It's just, there's a, there's a great vibe. I think there's a, you know, it's kind of like a central location to some areas where a lot of our fans are. And, um, you know, so, and it's, it's just a great room and, uh, and, you know, we always have such a good time. So it was great. And we have Keller Williams joining us for a night and we'll have Sam Bush joining us tonight. And then I think the other night is just like an eve, just, just going to be us. And so um, I think it's going to be a, a, a three day party. We're super psyched about it. And of course the elephant in the room, Seth, can you give us an elephant? <laughs> Will there be collaborations with Sam and Keller? I mean, what oh, kind of question of is that? Of that's course. not an elephant in the room. Well, that's Rob. People want that. There's an elephant. People that's always in the back of people's head. When someone opens for a band, it's like, well, yeah. maybe at some point we'll get. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not even sure, honestly, I, I'm, I, you know, I have to remember exactly how it played, but I mean, yeah, I, they, they may even be like joining us for like a, a bunch of our sets. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly how that was planned out, but there's absolutely going to be, I mean, yeah, there's definitely going to be collaborations for sure. And, um, and that's, you know, that's the beauty of having your friends coming and, and joining you on the show is that you can, you know, you can start to, you can have a jam and, and, you know, have some, get some moments, you know. And has life changed uh, 
how, how much has life changed in terms of being able to be so free and connect, not just with your fans. I mean, you have your fans, then you have friends, and then you have musicians you're performing with. I mean, but you also have to isolate yourself somewhat so that you can make it to the next show without getting sick. How much has life changed in that process? A lot. You know, it's, 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 it's a crazy, you know, touring now is, is a lot different. You know, we test before we, we get on the road, you know, right before we go on the road. Um, and we try to keep our pod pretty tight, you know? Um, and you know, yeah, there's no, the backstage is locked down, you know? So it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's hard to really, even, you know, sometimes you're out in the road and you got some really good friends who are there and there's just really nowhere to kind of go to, you know, to go visit and you just have to, you know, I mean, but it's really important to keep, you know, we're going from city to city, you know, you, you wouldn't want to do anything that could put anybody in danger or any fans in danger. You don't want to be spreading anything to anybody. You don't want to be bringing anything into, you know, anybody, um, you know, into from, from outside into our thing. And you just, you know, I'm just doing the best we can, you know, to, to navigate all that. But, you know, yeah. that being said, it feels, you know, I think, you know, a lot of places and, and a lot of venues are really taking it very, very seriously and doing the right thing. And I think you can have safe shows, you know, um, if everybody just sort of, you know, stays, stays vigilant and does the best they can, you know, I think, I think, you know, and it, and it, man, it does, it feels really, really good when you get people together. And, um, you know, I just think it's, uh, something not that, not that I ever took it for granted, you know, because I think, I, you know, it's something that I'm always grateful for. Um, but you know, but yeah, you, you, you'll never, you know, it's like, man, to get to do that and uh, and feel that again has been just um, unbelievable. Really, just 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 wonderful. And then, what about the anxieties of uh, of like festivals or like Strings and Soul coming up, where you know there is no backstage. That's the beauty of it. But yet, you kind of have to still, even though everyone's tested and stuff, it's not just a, a free for all like it was in the past. It's kind of you still want to. I would imagine. I know for myself, you could still want to have some some boundaries or you know borders or a fort if yeah. you will rob yeah you got it <laughs> you know um yeah i mean you know everybody has a different level of comfort you know i think in this whole in the world we live in now you know everybody has a different level of comfort and personally my personal level of comfort is you know i mean uh, with strings and soul for example yeah i mean for me personally i probably am going to be pretty scarce you know i mean it's it's uh you know, it's, 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 you know, traveling there. And, and it, I mean, I'm that way with any show right now, especially, you know, but it, yeah, with that, it's, I, I probably am not going to be out and about as much as normal because I'm, I'm pretty, you know, I'm, I'm keeping things pretty, pretty tight. I have, you know, elderly parents that I, that I, that I go see regularly that I have to be around. I have, you know, a pregnant wife right now. Hey, Mazel Tov. Um, yeah congratulations you know, we're really excited about that so you know yeah i'm keeping stuff pretty tight myself you know and um yeah. and i i think that's you know i think that's what people you know do and i think yeah. people respect that these days too i think everybody knows that everybody's got a, a a certain level of and some people you know go out and they it's it's like nothing's going on and you know hey no judgment that's cool and and some people like me maybe are on the other side of it and really, you know, still trying to be careful. I know people are even more careful than me, you know, yeah. it's, you know, everybody has a thing and, you know, you just always, you know, it's funny when you see people out and about, you just, 
you try to read where their comfort level is. You know, we've all done it. Do you, do, 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 do you want to fist bump? Do you not want to touch at all? Do you want to, you know, and everybody has, you know, you have to like show your signs of like what you do or whatever it is. And, you know, and it's kind of, it's uh-huh. kind of funny like that now, but you know. Well, we're all, we're all okay. insurance brokers. It's all about risk analysis. And that's the thing with a musician uh, and, and our fans, uh, not our fans, I mean, music fans in general, uh, I think, I know are trying to get around their head that is risk analysis. It's like, okay, well, you know, this musician's livelihood is on the road. And if they're doing, you know, so them not coming out and drinking with me is, uh, is them being able to protect that they can play that next gig because it's a different world. It's like, if you get sick and get off a tour, uh, there's a lot of money that you're going to lose. And that, yeah, you know, they're not going to get know, back. They, or, yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, from a, from certainly, you know, number one, just from a, a you know, the health risks, of course, is obviously the first thing you try to protect everybody because, but like, yeah, secondly, yeah, sure. It's, it's like, you know, to be able to do this, you have to, you know, you have to know that you can, you know, I mean, it's right. You know, like one person gets sick, you know, on the bus, for example, you know, the, the tour ends, you know, it's over, you know, we go home, you know, that's it, you know, and so that's why we try to catch anything that we can catch, you know, as far as, you know, not, not COVID. We try to catch. <laughs> I was like, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, the wrong choice of words there. Catch but, other uh, you diseases. Know, <laughs> right. You try to, you try to, you know, it, it, you, you try to find out if anybody's got it before yeah. we get out on the road. Because if anybody does, then they can stay home. And theoretically, if it's a crew member and even to some degree, if it's a band member, you could still, you know, figure it out put on cool shows you could figure something out you know you could find subs or 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 special guests if it's band people you know and um you know if if, but if it happens on the road you know it's just you know yeah everything's got to stop and so we just have to be careful and like i said you know every band and every musician within a band even has sort of a different threshold of what they're comfortable with and you know we we generally operate on you know whatever the lowest common denominator is that's where we go and and we are respectful of each other and you know yeah it's like it's all good you know and and but you know yeah it's just i think that's how we sort of operate we just try to keep things yeah. tight and keep things cool you know so we can keep doing this well i can't imagine a string duster show without jeremy and i, I want to know what is your earliest memory of Jeremy Garrett. When did you first meet him and get get to know him? Well, I I love this story because when I when I met Jeremy, I was my first time in Nashville. I you know at the time I was living I was here in New York still. Um, I've moved back since you know, but um, I my first time in Nashville, I was going to a thing called Spigma, which is kind of like IBMA, but a little bit different, a little bit more maybe traditional or something. It's, but it's like same type of thing. It's a organization it's a you know bluegrass preservation kind of thing it's a it's a an award show and i was at the hotel in the hotel bar where everybody sort of gathers and and this guy comes up to me and he's like hey man how you doing and i was like uh great you know he's like yeah so how are things and i was like cool things are good yeah yeah and and uh you you, you've been out there playing some and then i'm like yeah you know yeah sure he's like good good it's good it's good to see you man i was like yeah good good to see you and then he kind of paused and looked at me and he said i think 
I think I thought you were somebody else. I said, I think, <laughs> I think you do too. And so he goes, oh, and so we had a little laugh and he said, oh, you know, well, anyway, my name's Glenn. And I'm like, cool. And he's like, um, hey, come over here. I want to introduce you to my son. And, it, and that was that was Jeremy's dad. You know, and he brought me over to Jeremy and he said, hey, you know, hey, this is I just met this guy. You know, he, he told him the story and and oh, this is Jeremy and Zanny. And that was the first time I met Jeremy Garrett. <laughs> and and we've been friends ever since. That's great. <laughs> Do you have a favorite song of his offhand? Oh, man. Well, you know, Let It Go has got to be, um, you know, probably up there, a tie on the list. He's got so I mean, he's got so many songs that I love. Um, Let It Go is high on the list. Um you know, rivers run cold, you know, he, you know, Colorado, he's, I, I you know, I, this, this, I love them all. <laughs> it's hard to pick right, one, be, but yeah. And before we let you go, what's the weirdest thing he's, he's ever done on the bus? The weirdest thing he's ever done on the bus. <laughs> I don't know. You know, they might, they might shut your, uh, they, <laughs> might, they might, they might shut your podcast down. If we start getting going down there, we, we, we might lose a sponsor. <laughs> i'm just kidding oh, they're, no, they're so edgy I, you know, jeremy jeremy on the bus he, jeremy's a, a you know one of the most chill cats you could be out on the road with he's he's actually he's quite zen on the bus he sort of he keeps things chill and you know actually these days we're all sort of you know all energy is like reserved for the show almost oh, you yeah. know it's, you know you, you kind of like you're kind of like maintaining this sort of chill vibe because you just, you know, when, when you, when you get on the, on the show, you just want, you want 110% of your energy to be out on that show and you want to leave it all out on stage that night. And then when you get back on the bus, you want to be exhausted and go back, you know, and, and just try to give everybody every, every ounce you got. And Jeremy, as you know, I mean, man, that dude, you talk about somebody who gives every ounce of energy to the show. I mean, he's, 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 he's incredible. And, and he does that, you know, so he's a, he's a chill traveler, you know, he just, he kind of keeps things real mellow on the bus. Sometimes me and him will jam a little bit in the back lounge or something, but, um, but we, you know, we just kind of keep things pretty chill and and then he gets out there and he just absolutely rages Cobra style and, and just, and, and it's, it's amazing to watch. Well, we're about to play the new single, which is also the title track toward the fray. And um, uh, so we'll end talking about that. It, it, it seems to fit what you're talking about, that there's there's darkness going on in the world, but we're looking for the light within us and, yeah. um, you know, moving toward the fray. Let's not try to hide from these issues. Let's actually confront them and get something done. People, my people, there is no other way to love except to turn our tender, I think, souls toward the fray. T- our timid souls. Timid souls. The- OK. Yeah, but that is that is essentially what you're talking about is like we, we can't we can't just you know, hide from the world. We've got to, we've got to meet it all head on. Yeah. I think, you know, I think, I think, yeah. And I think for me that, that whole idea of that song is, is kind of saying, yeah, like, you know, sometimes there, there are big problems, you know, in the world. And sometimes we can, we can look at them and go, man, shake our head and go, yeah, it's a real shame. You know, I, you know, and then, kind of just go back to our daily lives and i think the idea of the song is like yeah if we're, we're gonna if we're gonna solve some of these issues and we're gonna we have to kind of go right head first into it and we have to stop just because it maybe doesn't maybe it doesn't affect you personally on your day-to-day moment-to-moment life you know well but if it's affecting the whole we we really have to you know go go towards that that's what it is to me you know it's 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 just um you know kind of yeah taking it and 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 facing these things 
to make a better world. And, and we can do it, you know, together, you know, I, I, I believe, you know, so. Well, thank you so much. We'll see you in Atlanta next time with green sky, bluegrass, Andy, appreciate your time. Hey, thank you, you so guys much, are coming guys. through with the three nights in February. You guys are on that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Green sky, bluegrass, and dusters. I imagine you'll split switch off headlining. That's cool. No, I just, no, I think, I think we're going to open for them, you know, for those guys. I think they're, they're, oh, you know, okay. they, we're, we're, yeah, we're going to go out with them. And I think we're doing like a longer, we're not doing like a short set. We're doing a longer set, but that I think it's going to be that and, and two full green sky sets as well. You know, so it's a, it's a big night of music. I'm sure there'll be a lot of uh, collaborations and jamming as well, but, um, but yeah, no, we're, we're looking forward to going. We've been trying to do it for a lot of years. You know, those guys are such tight buddies of ours and we love them so much. And so, um, so I'm so happy to, to do this. It's going to be really fun. Oh yeah. Thank you so much. Here it is. My interview with Jeremy Garrett and first toward the fray. long gone wrong in the force of history Not all who wander are lost. <laughs> Isn't that true? That is true. And uh, some need a compass. That's right. It's good to have you. Thanks for going out of your way to sit here. Thank you. Let's Thanks talk about uh, Now, you, you were already doing some looping things and releasing them yourself. 
And then you decided to go next level and more formal release with more songwriting oriented just with some looping part of it, right? Yeah, well, you know, I was trying to incorporate the looping machine with what I do, which is play all these other instruments, you know, guitar, fiddle, and mandolin, and sing. And I even have added beats to my show now. And I just wanted a way to sort of bring that all together. The looping machine was the obvious way to do it. But at the same time, you know, I felt like there was something that could be sort of kitschy or, I don't know, I don't, for lack of a better term, sort of gimmicky about the loop machine in a show. And so I wanted to try to really incorporate it into being like a part of the music and just like another instrument that I was playing to enhance what I was doing. So that was kind of my goal was to sort of take it seriously the whole time and 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 see if I could really, you know, make it a part of my show, but not use it all the time exclusively, you know. So weaving it in and out just like the guitar or the fiddle or the mandolin. And when you say your show, what, what, what kind of venues you're playing and how, how far, what kind of radius? Because we don't get it here in Atlanta yet, right? <laughs> well, I'm definitely trying to branch out. I feel like in a lot of ways it's a newer venture for me business-wise to bring this one-man show to the stage. Uh, I've done a few festivals around, and, and I'm based in Colorado, so I've played around there a lot. I have a lot of favorite breweries that I play at, you know, a few times a year. And I play in the upper Midwest. I, I don't know why, but something just keeps drawing me up there, and, and, you know, you get opportunities to go, so you go. And so I've had a few years now to really hone this show in, and the last time I played actually was a couple of weeks ago. I opened for Meadow Mountain at the Bluebird in Colorado and Denver there, and that was a really, really fun venue and kind of seem to be so far my favorite scene as far as bringing it to a club you know where everybody's standing and engaging in the music and we just had a blast do you think it would work in singer-songwriter rooms like eddie's attic here in atlanta or oh sure i mean definitely and you know as a musician i've been playing since i was three years old so you know i've been touring for many many years and in different configurations and so hopefully i've learned a thing or two or about kind of you know catering a little bit to the to the audience at hand, you know, and what they're going to enjoy. And that's something that I enjoy about being a solo performer is being able to read that, find out what's working. Um, sometimes I'll experiment with a song, you know, like lately I've been doing this outcast song called Hey Yeah and uh, <laughs> looping that. And it's been going over really, really well. And I'm kind of surprised at that, but I, I, I figured it would go good, but it's kind of like one of my most popular tunes right now. And, you know, in the loop, th the looping thing. So it's just been a lot of fun to experiment with that and bring that into the bluegrass feel, you know, and marry those sounds together and see how people react to that. You're in the heartland of outcasts right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're That's ours. Right. Right so, I mean, it, it's, I mean, the infamous String Dusters machine is a wonderful thing, but you're one of five songwriters there. It must be nice to have this outlet where you're in charge. It's your thing. I mean, there's got to be positives and negatives about that. Definitely. Well, that's that's pretty insightful, actually, because, you know, when you're in a band, you're you're definitely a team. You're part of a team, and that's the good thing about it. I can rely on the, you know, the best players that I think the music world has to offer in the bluegrass world every single night. They've got my back, and I have theirs. And we push each other to, to you know, push boundaries and to be better and to really bring our A game all the time. But from And that radiates through our whole crew. But, you know, it's true. It's like I stand in the middle and I sing a lot of the songs. I sing a lot of the parts. And, you know, there's five guys that are sort of sharing that. And not that I need more me time, but there's a lot of other things that I do that I've worked really hard at my entire life, musically speaking. 
and uh, that I really enjoy. And you find out, you know, after many years of sort of touring with the same group, there's a synergy about it that can't be replaced, a comfort level. And so me, I, I actually really enjoy pushing myself and getting myself into those boundaries where I'm not comfortable. I feel like it makes me way better. And, you know, the String Dusters have made music virtually easy to play. I don't get butterflies when I'm on stage with the String Dusters. I just feel energized. You know, I can feel completely comfortable. So I've missed that butterfly feeling. And taking a solo show out to an audience, well, you talk about the pressure is on. That's without a net. You have to bring all the mojo, no matter what you're feeling. And no matter if you're messing up, like you got to keep, you got to keep going, you know? And so to, to have that going on in my life has really pushed me to be like way better. So I've rehearsed, you know, way more, I think, to get, get my shows to where they feel I can have that comfort level, that similar comfort level that I have on stage with the dusters, but still kind of being all front man all the time in those shows has really pushed me. And I feel like it's added to the dusters. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, that longing that I had to do more art of my own and try to be originally creative, something different than the Dusters, is being fulfilled. But at the same time, I'm bringing back to the band like a heightened level of musicianship, I hope. And do any do you get the urge to suggest that the Dusters do any of these songs live, or do you really want to keep them separate? We do sometimes. You know, it, it really depends on the song. Uh, over the pandemic, we had some, you know, different interesting configurations that we were doing and the Colorado guys which is me and Pandolfi and Andy Hall uh, got together and did some music and so I brought some of my music to that realm and was able to show those guys you know some of these other things and vice versa and I think we are going to start incorporating some of those more and more but there's no shortage of music with the dusters of course and you know everybody writes and the songs are just coming at you all the time. And are you conscious when you choose a cover you conscious not just of how it works for you but that people are going to go trace it like magic on the new record. I'm going to go listen to Coldplay's version now, and I'm not a big Coldplay guy, but, you know, I love the way it sounds on the record. (laughs) Well, thanks. You know, I I feel like, you know, when you, as far as where I'm concerned, playing a cover, uh, I, I choose stuff that tends to be a little more obscure on the cover end of spectrums to where maybe... As you say, not everyone recognizes that this is a Coldplay song. And if you hear my version, uh, hopefully it's original and unique and different enough that you'll get that I tried to make it my own song, you know. Uh, But where I first heard it was through Coldplay, and that song just kind of struck me. I'm kind of a fan of pop music and, you know, definitely a fan of theirs. And and, uh, so every once in a while I'll have a playlist on in the background or something and a song will hit me and, you know, I feel like another angle I'm looking at it is musically, it's got to be loopable. You know, for me, as a solo artist, that's what I'm trying to get into now with my covers is to see if there's a, a way that I can loop those songs. And I'm accustomed to looping very long sections of music together in my show, but it's kind of handy to have a song that just kind of does the same thing over and over again naturally. And even though, you know, the melody sort of goes through the changes and makes it sound different, there's really a lot of the same things that are happening over and over in that song. So it kind of seemed natural for me to gravitate towards that as a looping cover. And do you, uh, we're in Stanwood Studios, so perfect time to ask about production questions. Great little studio here in, in Kirkwood. 
Um, are you doubling your violin at parts of that? Or you know, how you- I, I experimented a lot in my basement for months, you know, figuring out how to build these soundscapes. And yeah, you know, with that particular song, I start on, on the beats, I believe, and then uh, I bring in this, the guitar, and then I switch to mandolin. And mandolin, I actually have these effects on my pedal board where I can play bass on mandolin because I'm not really a bass player, but I need a bass sound sometimes. So I have this effect that I'll lay down a bass beat, and then I've got a little wah pedal, so I'll lay down a little wah and just kind of create a soundscape. And that's how I build this tune, and then I grab the fiddle. The fiddle, I put on a nice delay to where it just kind of sounds like it's just fuller and, and just more, I don't know, ethereal. And on that particular track, you know, I've been, I recorded most of the songs on that record at Crossroads Music Studio in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, but that particular song was right during the height of the pandemic where nobody was doing anything and everybody was just staying home if you were in music and I have a little studio outside of my house and I thought it was about time that I like learned how to get away from recording everything I do on GarageBand and go to a legitimate uh, recording software and so a lot of people you know suggested that I should learn Logic because I was you know already good at GarageBand so that's what I set out to do and with that track I spent five weeks working on that track every single day for about eight hours a day wow and that's how I learned how to use Logic so just just <laughs> so. as an example to the non a lot of people listening are not musicians what, what are some of the things you're working on just sample and, and error and just trial and error and yeah well for me it was more learning some of the the things like you know a lot of times when I lay down a part, I nail it all the way through, which is the goal, you know. But with, with Pro Tools and different things, you can do editing things which can help you clean up some things. If you get mostly like a really awesome take, you can go in and just kind of scissor up something that you need to just fix, you know, that's sort of minute. And it, in the live show, it wouldn't matter. But on recording, you hear those things and you want them to be right, you know. So just learning some of those things on how, how to, you know, I mean, I had really little experience on, on editing and that kind of thing. But so there was some of that. And then, and then uh, really honing in the mix was really the thing that I spent the most time on, like getting a really fat sound as like getting all the levels up because I like a crunchy, edgy sound. I want it to almost clip, but you have to be careful with that when you're building a mix, you know, to make sure there's room for everything and, and to make sure you're hearing what you want to hear, the delays and the little pop-out moments, you know. And then creating the beats, you know, to the song was also new for me. I've never, sat, like, done any sampling, you know. So I was, like, learning all this stuff from scratch, but I did it all on that song. And so, I, I you know, I, I obsessed over it until I got it finished. And so, you know, I mean, it's totally ridiculous to spend five weeks on one track, but that's how I did it. And something about Nevermind put me in the mind of Jean-Luc Ponty. Are you a Jean-Luc Ponty guy? I mean, absolutely. He's definitely one of the ones that paved the way for using electronics in fiddle music. And not overusing them, yeah. finding that right balance. That's right. That's right. Yeah, he was a hero of mine when I was younger. I saw a lot of, a lot, a lot of his shows. All right, we got to talk about my song. I just, I just love this song, and I think it speaks. It's called The World Keeps Turning Around. We sit here on, 9, on the anniversary of 9-11, uh, 20th anniversary of 9-11. Um, you know, it's crazy. I feel like you might be even talking about the internet and just the way we fight each other. And it seems like when I was young, we'd find common ground and work from from there. And it seems like I love social media, but it does seem to amplify our differences. And that seems to be what you're speaking about. 
Yeah, you know, it was definitely a song. Everybody, every artist, any poet, you know, is dealing with how do I put this into words? How do I make this into, you know, the art that I do? And, you know, it's it's just kind of difficult for sure because you, uh, you know, you don't want to, I don't know, you want to say the right things and say it the right way. Yeah, I've tried and, writing songs. That's yeah. a hard thing. You don't want to be trite. Yeah. You want to say something. You don't want to be in your face. It's a, such a hard thing to do. Totally. And I have this frequent songwriting buddy that I write a lot with, John Weisberger, who helped me write this song. And I had the idea for the guitar riff first and kind of had that around for a little bit. But it started to hit me, you know, like maybe we can write something that's, you know, just reflective. I, I don't like to be preachy at all when I write like a message song. But I feel like messages are important. And it's really more for me and, and my buddy that I write with. It's like our own reflectiveness, our own healing. How can we put this into words, you know, in a, in a way that's not preachy, but just makes you think about what's going on, you know. And, and to incorporate some things like posting on the Internet, you know, it's so, so us right now, but you don't really hear that in songs very much. So how can you incorporate that without being cheesy? Right. You know, and so... And you did a great job. Well, man. thanks. I hope so. You know, it's, you never know how the messages are going to come across. But the record label, uh, Organic, that I'm on, actually, um, were really gracious about sort of letting me put this song right into the mix and releasing it as a single because they believed in the message, too. And it was just kind of cool to put it out that way. So Can you play it? Sure. Nice. We have a music stand if you oh, want. Oh, cool. I get a copy, too. Thank you. Yeah, do you want a guitar? Uh, yeah, you got one. Ooh, that is a nice guitar. Yeah. Thank you. Provided by Stanwood Studios. Mm. Thank you, Sophie, for printing the lyrics. Oh, Wanderer's Compass is the name of the record. Yep. Is music your compass? Well, I mean, that's kind of the point about the Wanderer's Compass, I guess, you know. I mean, definitely music as a whole is is my, you know, direction source, I feel like. It's the thing that I've always done and do the best, you know. Everybody has their their thing, and, and uh, music is mine. I'm... I feel like I'm good at it. I've been doing it so long, you know, and it's I learned so young that it's almost like a a second language, second language, you know. Like, yeah, he he learned how to play fiddle before he learned how to speak. 3 years old. And we'll get in there's a cool story about that fiddle too. Sorry, I should know the song, but well, you've been doing your duster songs. I know we've been busy in the other things, so All right. You post what you're feeling and you wait for the lights You don't care who you ignore And then you get too nervous to sleep through the night But you can't wait to do it some more what would you say to a new generation if you could say what you wanted to say? Beating all our heads against a brick wall and the world keeps turning around. Ooh, 
Everyone's got an opinion these days And everyone's ready to share Like a dog chases tails And the merry goes round Till you feel like you're gasping for air But one kind of flame's gonna lead to another But not every fire's gonna burn the same way What would you say to a new generation If you could say what you wanted to say Beating all our heads against a brick wall While the world keeps a turning around You think that it's all gonna work When everyone's cruising along If the scenery changes And you burn a new way Are you worried that you're gonna be wrong? What if we live the way that we say When we think what we say People want us to say One kind of thing's gonna lead to another But not every fire's gonna burn the same way What would you say to a new generation If you could say what you wanted to say Beating all the heads against a brick wall And the world keeps a turning around Yeah, we're beating our heads against a brick wall And the world keeps a turning around Yeah, we're beating our heads against a brick wall And the world keeps a turning around Jeremy Garrett at Stanwood Studios in the Kirkwood section of Atlanta, September 11th, 2021 for you tapers. When you're sequencing a record and you have a song like that, are you conscious of what follows it? Is that why you have the good time song after it? It's a, there's a relief needed? Absolutely. I try to think about, you know, the contour of how it all fits together. Sonic, sonically, you know, what's little and what's bigger those kind of things, but definitely content-wise, I try not to keep the scene dark for too long. Right. <laughs> not that this is a dark song. I feel like it's hopeful, but in a way, we do keep beating our heads against a brick wall, right? We can all understand what that sentiment means, and it seems like it's just happening more and more and not less, you know? And I feel like, you know, today, 9-11 is a good reminder of that. Of, of exactly, you know, us being together after that happened, like the vibe of the togetherness, the unity that everyone was feeling and just kind of, you know, I don't know, just I feel like over time we've definitely gotten away from that, you know, and it seems like there's more chaos now than ever. But but I'm just trying to bring to light that we we do kind of keep beating our heads against a brick wall. And with that sentiment in mind, hopefully we can you know, stop doing that. Just just kind of realize, you know, hey, we can't just keep doing the same thing, saying the same things about every argument, especially when, you know, posting things online doesn't really help help our world. So maybe we can consider another way is all. Where were you when you heard about 9-11? I was on tour, actually. With which uh, band? My actually, uh, my dad and I had a band called the Grasshoppers. So this is the Grasshopper yeah. era. Yeah, this is uh, many years ago. We had a band for about eight years called the Grasshoppers, full-time touring bluegrass band from Idaho. And uh, that was sort of towards the end of the stint, uh, maybe the last few years of the band. But I remember 
we were camped at a KOA and I was in the shower and my dad, you know, came yelling in the bathroom. He said, Jeremy, you got to get out here, you know, something's going on. So I came right out and, you know, we were watching the news in the lobby and uh, <laughs> it was a weird time, you know, for sure. I mean, everybody probably remembers where they were, but uh, I, you know, we drove to a camp another campground because our stay was over there and we had to be somewhere else on tour but of course all the gigs canceled and we were halfway across the you know more than halfway across the country uh, we actually were not far from where the plane went down in pennsylvania where we were camping so and we needed to make our way to atlanta and uh, on the way we just found a campground and the price gouging of the gas was going on i think they were charging like Eight fifty for a gallon of diesel, oh. and you know we were sort of just a, we were just a bluegrass band, man. <laughs> so right. we we pulled up some money and we put a few gallons in the bus tank and we went right to a campground and just parked it, and we were there for a week. And uh, you know I'm married, been married almost twenty five years now, and uh, my wife was at home and she actually got robbed that night. So, uh, it's, it's at just, home or at, well at home we somebody broke into our carport and stole the stereo out of the, out of, the, out of our car with her in, right there in the house. Ugh. And so it was just a very odd time, of course, you know, and, and, but all these details, you know, I'll, I'll never forget them, you know, but, uh, despite all that, you know, it, there was a lot of, a lot of unity, it seemed like in our country after that, you know, and. And that's the thing I try to remember the most and take away myself. For a while, briefly. For briefly, that's right. <laughs> Let's talk about those grasshoppers because that was kind of your, your teeth cutting. Um, well, before that, I know you've told it a hundred times, but the story about is that the fiddle that's that you've been. The fiddle, yeah. It was played in the San Francisco Philharmonic? That's right. And yeah. it was a couple that lived down the street from you? That's right. And then the woman passed away, and the husband didn't want it around anymore. And why, your father was a street musician? Well, he was actually only about 12 or 13 at the time, and he actually uh, had this old dog. I don't forget what kind of dog it was, but it was just a little little dog. And uh, the dog was getting really old and sick, and, and so they needed to sort of, I guess, you know, let it go to its home, you know. And uh, so... His parents, my grandparents, needed a way to figure that out. And the way that they, they figured out how to do it was to buy him a guitar. And then when he came home, the dog was gone and the guitar was there. And uh, I don't know if that's the right way to, to go about that. But he really, you know, took that guitar into his own and learned how to play guitar and started studying flat and scrugs and stuff. So he was, he, he was known around the neighborhood as the music guy. And, uh, so he, I think he had that reputation and, and when the, when the lady passed away from cancer, uh, I think it just kind of choked, choked the guy up to, to have it around or something. That's, that was my dad's sort of take on it. And he just walked down the street one day and handed it to him. He said, you'll know what to do with this. And so my dad never really played or, or anything. He just had it over in the corner most of the time. I mean, he learned a little bit. But when I was, you know, three years old, they started getting me into Suzuki and I was playing a cigar box violin and graduated. And I guess I was probably 11 or so before I was big enough to play this fiddle. But, you know, it's it's been a part of me. It's been like my best friend, you know, one of my best friends in, in life for sure. And, and it's always been there, just or always been around. And it's a hundred and I guess eight years old now. Wow. And I should probably retire it. I probably shouldn't be traveling around with it, but it plays so beautifully. And 
I can't imagine just leaving it home in the case. And so I it's, keep, keep it's part it of down. you. It is. It's got to be. Yeah. And I've played other fiddles for sure throughout the years. You know, people have, you know, made fiddles for me. And and I always, I, you know, definitely appreciate them and use them for different things. But I always return to this just because of the way it fits in my hands. It feels so, so right for me, you know. You said you learned the Suzuki method by ear in one interview. What do you mean by that? Well, the Suzuki method is based on learning by ear at first. And uh, so they, the idea is to play little bits of a melody and have your student copy it. And so it's like this, you know, here's a part. And at first they actually teach you, when I was taking, they taught you by record player. And you would bring the record home, put the needle on and listen, and then move the needle back. And you would listen a few times until you had the part in your head, and then you would try to copy it. So I did, and they do that for a couple of years before they, or some amount of time before they start bringing in the, you know, the scholastic music on the page. And the idea, I think, behind the, the classical part of it is that you learn how to really feel the music. You don't become a button pusher. You're, you're really internalizing melody. Plus, it helps you internalize the music faster. If you learn, I feel like if you learn by ear, you have a faster ear, you know, than than someone who only can sight read. Although I've met some incredible sight readers too, so maybe I'm totally wrong. But for me, it's just been you know natural. I quit before I learned how to read music in Suzuki when I was maybe five or something, and just started doing the bluegrass world with my dad. And later came back to classical in high school, joined joined the orchestra, and learned how to read you know classical music and went to college for for music so how young were you what was the transition to being this uh you know kid who could play and then actually being considered to play as a serious musician in the grasshoppers well um you know i don't know it's I listen to some old stuff and I'm not sure, man. I, some of it's kind of rudimentary and I've come a long ways, I feel like, you know, and it's, but it's taken me a long, a lifetime to do that. And, uh, you know, I didn't really have a lot of formal training growing up other than the little bit of Suzuki at first. And my dad would hum fiddle tunes to me. So a lot of these things I just picked up by ear, but, uh, you know, I guess, well, when I went to Texas, I was playing with a few, like, Texas country groups. This one guy in particular named Pat Green had a, before he had a hit on the radio, He's he has a hit, a few hits now, I think. But he uh, he had a great sort of local Texas scene, you know. He ran into the Jack Ingram and Robert Earl Keane circles, and yeah. I would rub elbows with those guys and, and the bands and stuff. So I kind of got my feet wet in country you know more commercial music which is where i went to college in in uh, level land texas yeah it was right uh, south south plains college commercial music was your degree yeah that's right i've never even heard of such a thing i think it might be the only college in the country that offers that there's you know berkeley has a music degree and and uh east tennessee state might offer a commercial music degree now but as far as i knew at the time it was just texas that offered the commercial music thing and what it was was you know tom t hall had a production studio there and waylon jennings had a recording studio and you you learned all the things about you know how to play music live in a setting like that but also how to build a stage how to run sound how to record music how to put lighting on and and all that kind of thing so it was a full you know immersion into how to you know create commercial music and at that point i imagine grasshoppers based on the pictures i get the sense 
There was no improvisation going on. It was pretty straight to the vest. Close well, to the vest. there was improv within the solos, I would say. Sure, right. It's but bluegrass. You know I mean. Yeah, but it was pretty straight ahead bluegrass. You know, that's what we were trying to be was a bluegrass band. And, uh, you know, we were coming a lot of the, you know, my dad and his partner, Randy, had a had a, you know, definite, you know, love for Flat and Scruggs and Bill Monroe and that traditional era. So that's where I got a lot of my feet wet was in traditional music. And uh, then but they, you, you yeah. had a taste for improvisation right from the get go, though, right? Well, I was uh, always a, I've always been a rebel, man. Um, <laughs> anytime somebody says you got to do it this way, I don't listen. I just close my ears and and do my thing, you know. And and that has not always served me well, but I feel like in music, it's it's definitely served me well. You know, it's it's uh, improv is I couldn't do it. You know, I grew up. 40 miles from Weezer, Idaho, where they had the old-time National Fiddlers Contest. And I was in that thing a couple times. Made it to various levels of, you know, success within that world. But the thing about contest music is you got to play it exactly the way they want to hear it. If you don't, you're not going to win. And they're sitting there with notebooks yes, taking... Yeah. and that's just the way it is. And so you have to copy it. And, and I was always like... Well, I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound fun to me at all. And I tried it a few times, and it, I had so much pressure. I remember one time my knee was shaking like this, like uncontrollably. Like I couldn't do anything about it. I was on stage, and I was like, I, I've never felt that kind of pressure before. And, and it was just a horrible experience. So I was always going out to the back of the schoolhouse with the, in the sticker bushes where they Stickerville yep. is yeah. and jamming with those folks and, and – uh, you know, I learned a lot from those people because they just they didn't care about programs or whatever. You know, they were just having a good time, you know, just jamming back there. And uh, they would do bluegrass songs, but they would be happy for you to just improv and play whatever you wanted. That was your and, training ground. So for your that eventual. was my thing. Yeah. But what about um, between graduating from Texas to going and going for it in Nashville? What happened in between there? Well, uh, I went back to Idaho for a minute <laughs> and uh you know, got married actually, and uh, then then actually our family and the whole band, the Grasshoppers, were going to move to Nashville. That's why we went to Nashville. Was we were all committed to moving there, and and so my wife and my mom. Uh, Wait, we should point out yeah. they recorded. They had records. This was an this was a oh, yeah. successful entity. This was successful entity. I mean, I think we sold maybe thirty thousand records over our lifetime. Nice and. For a little bluegrass man from Idaho, that's pretty dang good, you know. And those are like old school CD sales, you know, not not the Spotify now or whatever, you know. They're like legitimate record sales, and, and so, not just at shows. They were in stores. Yeah, right. Totally in record stores all across the country, and and we were on the charts often, and um, you know, making our way through. We didn't we didn't go as far as we wish we would have probably, but. As soon as the the band committed to moving to Nashville, it fell apart. <laughs> so we lasted a little bit longer and did a few gigs under the name with different folks, but it was just kind of time to to move away. And we were already in Nashville, so you know I I was kind of just working as a side man and worked my way through as a side man. I was playing with several different bands all at the same time. You know, Chris Jones, Bobby Osborne, and Ronnie Bowman and uh, Audie Blaylock all at the same time. I would drive to Kentucky on Thursday night and then Virginia to play with Ronnie on Friday and back to 
Nashville to play with Bobby at the Opry on Saturday. I mean, I was all over the place doing that for a couple of years until I met with, met up with the Dusters. Before we move on from Grasshoppers, were there any original Jeremy compositions in that band? Uh, yeah, for sure. Do you remember one? <laughs> um, I could probably play an instrumental on the fiddle. Okay. Would that work? Can I hand you that? Let's go Thank back you. in time to the Grasshopper era. Well, and it was, you know, this this... The name of this song will give a good idea as to when that time era was. Uh, it was really a big thing that was going on at the time. And I remember we were doing this uh, outfitter and guide dinner show. It was seven days a week, two shows a night up at this place called Bogus Basin, a ski resort right outside of Boise. And uh, we were doing that every single night. And the big deal at the time was uh, looming in the future. It was like a winter season. And so looming in the future was Y2K. And ah. so I remember hanging in the cabin and writing this instrumental and just calling it Y2K because of that. So. And I should point out, I believe this is on the live from Covington String Dusters. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's, I actually re-recorded it on my first solo record, I Am a Stranger. Okay. So. Y2K. Studios in the Kirkwood section of Atlanta, September 11th, 2021. We send that out to Art Bell, wherever you are. Yeah. Um, the Grand old Opry, man. I've been there. And so many musicians coming and going. It's all time to a T. What are your memories of it? What are some of your uh, be best and worst memories of it? <laughs> I mean, the Grand old Opry is great. I mean, it, it's one of the pinnacles of 
places you can go play someday. If I may say know? real quick, I've interviewed a lot of musicians and then read about, you know, everyone from Elvin Bishop to Jerry Garcia, all these musicians, because back in the day you could get AM radio. It's, it's Skywaves. That's right. So people would pull it in from San Francisco to wherever. It, it's been an influence on so many musicians, the Saturday night shows. For sure. You know, my grandpa told me this story, and I do this song sometimes, but he told me the story about when he was coming in from uh, working in the fields all day. They would, you know, be out there with real horses and plows and stuff and come in. to. He would be like the water boy to come in and get everybody a drink of water. And they were supposed to save the battery in the radio for the Opry only on Saturday nights. And uh, it was like, I think, late Saturday night. And so he went in to have a drink of water, turned on the the radio and here comes the opera and he heard uh the song the hank thompson song today and uh he remembered that song from that time he heard it he walked back out into the fields to finish up whatever they were doing he sung it through his head all that night and the next day and he just remembered it so it was like a kind of an important thing you know so it's definitely even in my family been a sort of a legendary you know pinnacle of where you could go play it someday you know as a so girl. what was it like the first time you walk in there having that be such a big part of your family and I mean, then there was, you are it was incredible you know I, I actually brought my whole family with me you know i got everybody tickets to to come of course and and uh, i think Who the you, first time i ever did it was with ronnie bowman okay and uh singing and, and, and playing some fiddle with him. And, and uh, you know, I couldn't think of a more awesome guy at the time, you know, to, to be playing with. He's one of my heroes, musically, music, musically speaking, for sure. And and uh, I really looked up to his sound and his song. So that was a real treat. And, uh, you know, I played it a few times. I got to play it with Jesse McReynolds. I played it Ooh. with uh, Bobby Osborne. I played it with... Of the Osborne uh, Brothers? Of the Osborne okay. Brothers. And, that's uh, Rocky Top. Yeah, that's yeah, the Osborne yeah. Brothers people. And uh, done, uh, you know, the String Dusters, of course, and maybe another time or two. How, how many times have the String Dusters done it? Man, I want to say we've done it a handful for sure, six or seven times, I, I think, something like that. So do the musicians mingle, or is it just too chaotic? You just stay in your space and do your thing and oh, definitely get out of the everybody. Way? If you know somebody there, you're you're hanging. There's sometimes there's jams back there in the in there. There's dressing rooms all over the place, and there'll be some people jamming back there. You know. And who are the other artists who'd been on the bill with you? Uh, you know, the Del McCurry band, of course, uh, Ricky Skaggs, and, uh, you know, a whole slew of, of country artists for sure. Um, Dolly? I know you have a band member who's played with Dolly. <laughs> I, know, I don't think we ever did it with Dolly, but yeah. What about Porter Wagner? You ever talked to him? Nope, I never did. Yeah. All right, so you're in Nashville, and you're just part of the scene. Yeah. And then did you first meet El- Eldridge and, uh, and, um, and, and Panda? Which pandas well, could spend off? You know, um, funny you should ask because the the way that I got into the scene was uh, actually Andy Hall and Jesse Cobb, our mandolin player at the time, were in Ronnie Bowman's band together. Okay, okay. And so when I came into the scene, uh, there was a last minute personnel change at a festival, and so they asked me to come sit in, and so I did. And I was already at that festival with Chris Jones, so I started playing with Ronnie. Uh, for the set that evening and then uh, got to know I, I already kind of knew Andy a little bit I think from just meeting around the station in or something you know they have bluegrass jams all the time so I'm sure I met Andy before but uh, that's when I first got to know Andy and Jesse uh, and we were in a band together after that basically they kept me in the band and and uh, so we we got to do a lot of talking about business and and that kind of thing and always expressed interest of being entrepreneurial with a band 
uh, because as a side man, you, there's only so much you, you can do depending on what kind of side man that you are, you know. And so that wasn't the end of what we wanted to be, of course, and we saw a vision of being able to do more than that. And at IBMA that same year, uh, which is the International Bluegrass Music Association, they have a trade show and an award show and they get together. Uh, that's where I met Chris Pandolfi, and he knew Chris Eldridge, you know, from before. So it was just sort of just a hodgepodge of, of getting around. And, and I think we were having a jam one time. We had a couple of bass players before, but uh, we were having a jam one time, and uh, we needed a bass player in the middle of a hallway at IBMA. We needed a bass player. And we looked over, and the elevator opened, and this guy walked off with a bass. And so we just <laughs> hollered at him to come over. And uh, he had a backpack of beer, too, which didn't hurt him. And uh, <laughs> so we all he, he was a pretty big hit and we got his contact. And that was Travis Book. So, you know, we he came out to Nashville a few months later and, and moved out. So, you know, and then later the personnel changed. We, you know, we lost Jesse and then we added Andy Falco, who has been a, a great asset to our band. But this this team's been together like I, I don't want to say. 10 years or longer with you know with no jesse so it's uh, been a you know really fun group we've gotten really tight and just you know personally speaking and musically speaking as well and we feel like we're at the top of our game right now we're just having a blast but you did you stepped away for a year or so right no wasn't no. there a year where you weren't doing dusters no 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 i've All always right, well, been there since the beginning well, I do know one thing. You had a house, and you sold. You had a oh, house yeah. for a long time. You sold it and went nomadic, right? Yeah, well, I definitely. I lived in my RV for about three years. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where the idea of looping came together for me because I was, you know, in Nashville. I've been writing a lot of songs with, you know, as the Nashville way. You co-write a lot in Nashville with other people. And so I've been doing that a bunch, and I got, you know, you know these other instruments that i play as down pat as i could and uh, went on the road i was just tired of nashville i was ready to get out of there i'm from the west originally you know from idaho so i, I needed out west again somewhere more western anyways and so um we just lived in an rv for three years traveling around the united states a few times they'd go into all the national parks and just kind of checking out places that we might want to land and then i would go to a major airport before <laughs> duster tour fly out go on duster duster tour come back and resume the trip but was it would it so. be tricky sometimes telling the duster people where exactly you're going to be flying from well it was uh, it was just a lot of logistics for sure yeah. and you know i had to make sure my rig was in a good zone you know so i had to plan a lot but uh it was really fun and so i took recording gear with me so i could continue to songwrite and make my demos and i had so much fun doing that process that I tried to see how I could make that viable and bring that to the stage. And that, that was the seed for me on how to bring in the looper and start my solo show. Is there a song from that era that you could play? Let me think. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, from the RV sessions? From the RV sessions. Yeah, yeah. would you mind? Thank yeah, you, brother. I got you. Uh, yeah, so I, I recorded two records while I was in the RV it, with my re recording gear and all my in instruments and stuff. And... Uh, one was uh, RV Sessions 1, which, which was like a lot of singer-songwriter-style stuff. And then RV Sessions 2 was all instrumental. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, like I say, was kind of the real, you know, catalyst for me to make, you know, being really interested in, and knowing in my heart that I needed to create my own art, you know, and, and figure out a way to do it and bring it to the live setting and, 
So that's where I came up with the idea. Real quick, have any from Sessions 1 found their way into the Duster's repertoire? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think right off the bat. Uh, I think we do one, but I can't remember which one it is off of there right now. Um, oh, it's, it's a bluegrass one, and it's called... Uh, What's That You're Doing? It's a song that I wrote with Benny Burl Galloway. Benny Burl. Yep. And, I love uh, the man. And he's from around here sometimes, too. Yes. And uh, he was part of the, uh, oh, it's, I'm blanking, the place in Marietta. What's it, what's it called? Yeah. Oh, Josh Stane's going to kill me. I'll think of it while you're playing. Um, you know... I got a lot of spiritual ties to Atlanta for some reason. I lived here for a few months, you know. When was that? Uh, over in, uh, off exit 111, out in a in a tour bus. I lived there for a few months, and uh, I was trying to think. Also, you know, there's a, a Atlanta artist that guests with me on Wanderous Companies named Prisca, and she's a soul singer from the area like you wouldn't believe. If you haven't heard of Prisca, go on Google right now and check that out because she's awesome. And... Uh, one of the most powerful singers I've personally, you know, had a chance to sort of sing with on a record. And uh, I just love what she adds to to the stuff. Crisco. How do you spell it? Prisco with a P. Ah. Almost there. capo but that's okay all right yeah so i'll do a song off of rv sessions one this is uh i don't know this is just a cool song i like a big old sun up in the skies mornings take me by surprise i find you at my side i'm a lucky guy Mama said misunderstood Well, I always did the best I could But I made him cry Cross the devil's head with the preacher's tongue Not everyone's way is a narrow one At the end of the crooked road I find You're at my side I'm a lucky guy Dance with shadows, I've had my fun They couldn't tie me down cause I would run Spinning wheels, take what comes and looking for a sign Well I got to you, my world stood still I've walked through valleys and I've climbed Yeah, I've climbed those hills. I 
the wine and I'm fulfilled You're the reason why Russell Devil's here with the preacher's tongue Not everyone's way is a narrow one At the end of the crooked road I find You're at my side I'm a lucky guy Stanwood Studios, Kirkwood section of Atlanta, September 11th, 2021. Sorry, I have to do that for the tapers. Good. I like how you use the pause in the mid-verse to drive home, you know, that line. I mean, do you, do you, do you tinker with song structure a lot? Do you find that that's part of the, what keeps you uh, interested in songwriting? For sure. Definitely, I, you know, I try to sometimes look at it like a crossword puzzle you know i mean there's certain pieces that are going to fit and how can i make it tricky how how can i make it unique you know like that melody is very predictable in a lot of ways you know it's like a johnny cash melody but you you hopefully kind of i mean all songs nearly have been written you know and so you add these extra little bits in sometimes that make it interesting that one has a few tricks in particular but when i'm doing it as a solo artist it really doesn't matter i don't have no one has to follow me you know and so like you say i try to accentuate certain things in the lyrics so they come out um you know climbing those hills and riding those valleys of life you know is what that line is about and uh so you know and i another artist i really admire and respect that does a great deal of that is daryl scott and you've and worked with him, right? I did a little bit, and he I've written with him a little, um, you know, just one song, actually, and, and one of them is on on Circles. Um, it, it's a, you know, a really fun tune that we wrote together. Setting in the west, 
Yeah, I love this life I lead, but it's you I love the best. A hundred miles to Cody, and they tell me that we're only passing through. And if we dropped all the veils we've been holding, what would we find? What would we find? And if we let the fire grow till we're both out of control, burning memories and losing our minds, what would we find? I'm a shadow in the morning, I'm a lighter of the night I'm a sinner, I'm a drifter, I'm a dreamer that's been waiting to come true I want to spend my life with you I'm just waiting to come true If they drained all the water from the ocean What would we find? What would we find? Saw the face of barren land, what would we find? And if we dropped all the veils we've been holding, what would we find? What would we find? If we let the fire grow till we're both out of control, burning memories and losing our minds, what would we find? When he delivers something as a live artist, it's it's you know beyond the normal musician. It's like I don't know he oozes music. You know, no boundaries really hold him down to a particular thing, and how freeing that must feel. You know, and so I've definitely tried to experiment with that. The more shows that I do, the more comfortable I get at that sort of thing. I'm not always willing to take that risk. Uh, but, you know, certain songs are definitely easier to try than others. But he seems to have no problems doing that at any time. <laughs> Is it tricky collaborating with someone you admire that much? Abso- absolutely. I mean, I felt pretty sheepish actually asking <laughs> him to write. You know, I mean, he was such a big name. And, you know, I mean, I admire everything he does musically. So it's, uh, you know, and be and to be such a deep lyricist, you know, and, and I'm definitely... As a writer, I lean more towards the musical side of things, you know, of, of melodies and, and that. But I, you know, hopefully I have good lyric ideas, too. And and he was a super gracious person to write with. And, uh, you know, especially given 
from his where he's come from and you know number one hits and all that kind of stuff to take the time to write with little old me meant a lot you know and I learned a lot that day too you know writing with a fella like that I feel like I write way better after all the co-writes I've done because I try to learn something from everyone you know what 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 how do they look at it what kind of tricks do they do what what do they hone in on when they're trying to rhyme things or come up with a musical hook you know what's their angle and it's always very interesting to me. The venue I was trying to think of is the Hunt House. Yeah. Josh Thane, friend of the show, is a big player there. And Benny Brogallo Galloway yeah. was, is a part of that. Have you co-written with him? Yeah, quite a bit. Um, you know, the Dusters do a few Benny Galloway sure. songs, sure. too. And, and, you know, I played with him. A bunch. He's a big Colorado cat, too. A true renaissance man, my, my man Burl. And, and he actually uh, helped me finish my studio uh, before the pandemic happened, he helped me finish my little studio. Oh, thank God. And uh, so I you know had I really utilized that thing over this whole time and, and was lucky because, uh, you know, I had him come out. And he's a he can work on a house. He can butcher some meat and he can write you a killer song. At the he same can time. kill the, yeah. the animal and get you the meat. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But he eats everything he kills. Yeah. Oh, which yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. Um, uh, I recently saw him in a thing I was fortunate to be invited to called the Only Fest. Travis Book was there as well. He was kind of the master of ceremonies, much like he is on the on the show you were on with him. And uh, Kim and Cassidy Murphy, who run that, wanted me to ask you where you got the G-Grass name. <laughs> well, I I think it's originally because I, I had a brand at, at the time. I'm trying to think of why I came up with this idea, but Garrett Grass was my brand. I think that was uh, clear back to my first record I did with my dad. This uh, It was like the first solo record that we did together. And it was all gospel music. You know, I grew up in singing shape note songs and stuff in church. And, and uh, so that's where I kind of have a lot of my singing background. Um, but uh, I think the brand of that first record was Garrett Grass Gospel. And and then I bought the website and I spread it around a little bit. And so people, I think, shortened it to G-Grass. And uh, so I'm pretty sure, you know, my band calls me that all the time, you know. And what's the Cobra name? Uh, (laughs) Man, I don't know. They say that I slither like a snake while I'm playing fiddle on stage. So... And you bring a lot of the fire. (laughs) I mean, I love the band and all of them. And, of course, Falco's amazing. But when it's really... Oomph, and a lot of times it's when you're <laughs> at the wheel. Well, I, luckily I got a whole team behind me pushing me the whole way. Oh, know? hell yes. And so it's easy to just let it all out, you know, and, and music's my thing, you know. It's, it's definitely what I feel like I do the best, you know, in, in this world. And so when I'm fully on, you know, it's it's a am you know, confident in what I do and and I'm, I'm not there to play games. Like, I, I'm, you know, I know how hard this entertainment world is. And so I try not to mess around. You know, I try to bring everything I've got every time. And when you guys do, like, uh, there was some brewery thing you were playing and you had six sets you were going to play. No problem. Not repeating. No problem. How many shows do you think you guys could go without repeats? Could you do like Fish, do 13 at the Garden? And not, We were not- talking about that to see if we could... It, um, we'd probably have to add in some bluegrass standards, but I guarantee you we could play different songs for 13 shells, no problem. And you mentioned gospel. Can you regale us with a gospel song? Sure. Let's see. 
talk about suffering here below and let's keep loving Jesus. Talk about suffering here below and let's keep following Jesus. Can't you hear it, Father? Now don't you want to go And leave this world of sorrow And trouble here below Here below Talk about suffering here below and let's keep loving Jesus. Talk about suffering here below and let's keep following Jesus. Oh, can't you hear it, Mother? Now don't you want to go and leave this world of sorrow and trouble here below? Suffering here below, and let's keep following Jesus. Talk about suffering here below, and let's keep loving Jesus. Oh, can't you hear it, sister? Now, don't you want to go and leave this world of sorrow and trouble here below? train is coming now don't you want to go and leave this world of sorrow and trouble here below here below Jeremy Garrett, Stanwood Studios, Kirkwood section of Atlanta, 9-11-21. The good 9-11. Yeah. You ever had a religious experience on stage? Do you have them all the time? Uh, I guess that's what, the way you could describe it. Um, I don't have them all the time, but, you know, I definitely feel like, for me, music is a very spiritual thing. Religion aside, you know, like, it's there's something about it that's super deep that you can tap into, like a meditation uh and when you're in that zone, there's <laughs> what's the cartoon that's out now? It's very, uh, you know, it's it's very. There's nothing else that can enter in, you, and you can do no wrong. You know, like there's just a, a a zone of of a mindset that you're in that's like the best way I can describe it is spiritual. Uh, some people might say it's like the Holy Ghost. I don't know, man. I don't know what you would call it, but like the music playing the band as the dead. When say. you're in it, when you're in it, it's you know it. 
And it's really amazing when everyone's feeling it, right? like the whole team. And we've had moments like that, and you're just like, you get off stage and you're just like, dude, what was that? During that one jam, what was that that was going on? You know, it's like a connection that is, uh, uh, you can't really even describe it. You know, you have to feel it. And uh, it's, it's an amazing thing. I feel like the older I get and the more that I play, the more I'm tapping into it. It's definitely, it's not something that happens all the time, but. Do you ever feel like the audience is flowers and you're watering them? I mean, for dusters, for sure. I mean, it's so reciprocal to us, the, the crowd and, and us. Like, you know, sometimes we're just background to the, to the real thing that's going on, which is people connecting in a space, you know, in peace. And that's, that's really our whole job, you know. But when we're bringing the fire and they give it back to us and it's just like, well, we want to give it more, you know. They want to give it to us more and it's, it's really that, you know, makes for an amazing show. And that's what people have come to expect when you come to one of our shows, you know. And it, it feels like that every night. So you get five songwriters, you get all these originals that you can choose from on any given night. Is Chris generally the one who writes a set list? Yes. Yeah. And... Do you call audibles? How often do you deviate? Sometimes we do call an audible, especially if the set is maybe a little bit too long or something. We may have to skip a song or two, you know, depending on a curfew, sound curfew or something. But a lot of times uh, we, we pretty much go with the set list every once in a while. Uh, you know, there'll be a song on there and I'm probably the one most likely to say, hey, we got to do something else. Let's do this other song or, you know. There is a moment when you're just like, I'm not feeling that song tonight. But most of the time, he nails it. And uh, and we have band meetings before the show. So we have a chance to say what we need to say if we need to change anything. And, and we often do. And we talk about how to sort of, you know, uh, transition one song into another and sure. that kind of thing. Do you ever go I, – I, I know you guys improvise. But it seems like you generally know where you're going to go. Do you, ever, do you guys ever just go for it and leave the map? Oh, yeah. There's times when we do that for sure. Um, we definitely have a general plan and a, and a general you know, outline sometimes. You know, especially at the band meeting, we'll, we might be like, oh, well, let's go into a double-time jam here. We have these jams we call, let's go into a disco jam right here. But that's all that means. It's just a feel maybe or something, you know, and... There, there are times, though, when we will be playing along that we will abandon whatever plan because somebody plays something really cool and then everybody will start copping on to that. It. You know, yeah. and we go with that because that's a that's a moment. You know, you can't really replace those natural moments. And, and that's, I think, what makes live music interesting is is to keep that kind of for our shows. You know, our audience is looking for that. You know, right. They, they want to see us you know, successfully deviate from... Even if you fall on your face sometimes. Yes. I mean, the oh, dad absolutely. would all the time they'd fall oh, yeah. on their face. Some of my favorite musicians, uh, you know, be going for it in the middle of the so solo and, and fail, but that's the, that's the best part of it, you know, is like to see them going for it. And it, that gets more response from me personally than somebody who plays it safe. You know, Miles said, there's no such thing as a wrong note. <laughs> right. Not, not, they don't exist. Jazz it up. What about Soul Searching? That that one resonates with me. Do you remember writing that one? Yeah, I wrote that with a buddy of mine named Josh Schilling. Who is Josh? Josh is a incredible soul singer and uh, 
piano player, B3 organ player out of Nashville, Tennessee. One of the most talented guys that I personally know. I don't have any idea why he's not world famous. Uh, he, he is pretty famous in the musician circles and deserves to be a, a mega star. Like, that's how talented he is. And an incredible writer. And I've written, we've written a bunch together now, um, you know, over the years. I guess a bunch, a bunch to me with one person is probably, you know, 10 or 12 songs. And, and uh, a lot of them have gone on Duster Records because we, you know, the dusters gravitate to them. So, uh, and we're, our styles fit together well. And in fact, I started a fiddle funk band with, with electric bass and drums and stuff. And I've done a few shows out and it's a bigger sort of unit as a solo show and fiddle and funk fiddle funk Do and people get down people boogie it's all about funk music like heavy heavy beats heavy funk groove and josh is one of the main components of that that unit and uh you know we were just i guess feeling feeling this song one day you know just searching our soul and some things were coming to mind and you know it was before all this you know division we got going on with the politics and stuff i remember and uh, well, at least as I know it, as I knew it then, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. It, it's a, it's a song that kind of speaks for itself. I love, it? Oh God, yes, please, thank you. Right. Love this song. I'm just a man making my way, sometimes a sinner, sometimes a saint. I carry on, do the best that I can, but still I struggle with who I am. So searching. Once was a girl that held me tight And I took all her love like a thief in the night After all of this time I'd never dreamed that I'd be holding on to her memory So Sometimes I wonder what I believe Yeah, well, I've traveled this life Looking for the signs and a pick-me-apart A piece at a time So searching 
searching, guess I always will. Jeremy Garrett playing and singing one of my absolute favorite songs at Stanwood Studios in the Kirkwood section of Atlanta, 9-11-21. We have to let you go soon back to the String Dusters. I don't feel like I've talked about them enough. <laughs> you, uh, I feel like the decision to do a Bill Monroe tribute record seems easy on the surface, but maybe is daunting when you start getting into it. Are you just picking songs you like, or do you feel like we want to do songs that cover the, that, the range of Bill Monroe as a whole? Well, you know, surprisingly for us, it was pretty easy. That's the one theme and the one foundation we have in common is the bluegrass, you know. And and once you have that foundation, chops-wise, in the music, it's, it's you know, very challenging music on its own. And, uh, you know, we have definitely players from different walks of life in the blues field and more jazz and, you know, gospel, whatever. But that bluegrass foundation makes it solid. And, and so for us, doing a bluegrass record was pretty much like drinking water or breathing air. I mean, it, it's very natural. So, uh, you know, we did a lot of it actually uh, not together because of the pandemic. And you'd be surprised, like, trying to do a Duster's record where it was more original is would be very much more challenging to do this way. But because it was, you know, there's a almost a program in bluegrass, you know, of we wanted to be creative, but there are certain, you know, ways to kind of do a bluegrass song and certain feels that you're looking for, certain things that you want. And uh, so that part of it was pretty easy. We laid the foundation of the song, emailed the track. I put the fiddle on, emailed the track, put the banjo, you know, just kind of. And then we sang all the same way, just like that. And uh, that's kind of how we built that record. So the Ladies and Gentlemen is closer to that than to Rise Sun as far as approach. Yeah, for sure. Because Rise Sun, you're just in the studio playing. Yep, yep. Do we have another String Dusters record coming? Got another one coming, brand new, and it's... Uh, the music is all done, and, and uh, we should be able to talk about it and, and bring it forward pretty soon. Self-produced? Yep. So is that going to be your ethos moving forward, playing as far as the original songs? Yep. We, uh, Play we live? haven't begun to start bringing some of them in live yet, but we're getting close, I know, to talking about when to do that. And, um, you know, I can't say enough about these songs, to me, are, are our deepest yet. You know, like, we we really went... You know, everybody individually really got heavy on the writing while being apart. And we actually had, you know, a lot of time for the first time to do that. 
And so everybody really dug deep. And the message that comes out is very current for the times and I think appropriate. And it's very string duster, you know, and, and but it's all original and it's all us, you know, producing and, and playing. So. And you collaborate in the studio. Is there any collaboration before that or do you all bring your ideas in and let the collaboration happen there? Well, definitely there's some collaboration before. Okay. Um, not as much as, you know, when we get together, that's when the real magic happens. And that's when, a you know, I'll often have like a song that's already written uh, or mostly written and bring it to the band and, and show them, you know, here's what I've been working on, you know. But to to make it dusters takes on a whole different level, you know, arranging the music and writing musical parts for it and the, and the harmonies and that sort of thing. But on this particular record, Andy Hall and I actually had a reunion. <laughs> we wrote a song together on the first uh, String Dusters record, and we haven't written one since. <laughs> and it's not for any particular reason. It's just life is really busy, you know. And even yeah. if you're in the same band, you might not have time to write together. Or, you know, after a big, long tour, it's kind of the last thing you want to do is hang with somebody that's in your band, <laughs> as much as we love each other. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, we decided since we had some time over this pandemic, we we just got together over Zoom and wrote this song. Um, it's a actually a, a, a it harkens back to the first song we wrote, which was called Tragic Life. And it's a story song about an outlaw. And uh, this is um, we lovingly call this new song Tragic Two. Yeah. You can't play that, though, can you? I can't play it for you right now. Can you play any of them? No, not yet. I understand how that goes. But um, and the touring's gonna keep up. Touring's gonna keep up as long as you know everything can go. And a lot of our you know friends have had to cancel tours, and and uh, you know we've all tried to be very careful, and we fully expect that something could happen. But we you know we we've done all the precautions. We've taken the vaccines, and uh, we're asking people to to you know wear masks and do the vaccine at the shows if they you know and and just trying to make it you know, part of being a strong industry, you know, coming back, we've, you know, everybody's, everybody in every industry is hurting, you know, and so this is the way that we kind of have to do it to make sure it stays solid. And we're doing mostly outdoor shows and, and, uh, you know, we're all taking tests all the time to make sure everybody's good, you know, and not, and not expose our families and that kind of thing. So right. we're doing everything that you can do and, and that the CDC recommends to stay safe and to keep our crowd safe. You know, we came off the road originally because of that very reason. We were worried about holding an events that had many, many people come together, you know. And so we're just doing the best we can. And, uh, it, you know, all signs are pointing ahead, but, you know, a lot changes in this world right now. And two weeks, it could be a different story, but uh, so far, so good. Speaking of changes, you have a, a young daughter. Yeah. And you obviously got bonding time during all of this. Man, that was killer. It was awesome. Yeah. She's just now getting ready to turn five years old and started preschool. And it was like a really great year to be involved every day, you know, in, in her life. And whereas, you know... I might be on tour for a week and a half or two weeks, and then I'll be home for two weeks. But there's, you know, you can't replace all that time together, you know, and most people never get to spend that kind of time even with their own child. So it was it was really great, you know. Her and I got, got to be pretty tight and went fishing and went camping and did some cool stuff together. How has being a parent changed you as a musician and a songwriter? Uh, it's just given me, you know, another purpose in life, like that I didn't know I needed, you know, and uh, she's, uh, she means everything to me, of course, and, and there's, uh, 
you know, I learn, I get to live vicariously my youth again through her and, and, and those things are just precious to me, you know, and, and, uh, I don't know, as far as musician, it's, it's, it's made me a dad. So I'm definitely like a little bit more like hungry and serious about everything, you know, and, and, and careful what you're saying. Well, I wish I could be a little bit more careful than (laughs) sometimes she's going to definitely pick up some of my bad habits, but but you know it's it's I, I, we're good parents and and she's she's very loved and uh you know it's just been a it's been the best thing i ever did you know way better than music and i didn't know that could something could be better than music yeah you've done pretty well with music <laughs> well you got a great fan base love the band i know so many people who are moved and inspired by them keep that string duster train rolling my man Thanks, and man. thank you so much for your time well thank you for the for the interview and the great questions and fi- insightful comments man this one's called Wishing Well. All right, you ready? Yeah, Wishing Well's a great one. All right. Well, some like the peace and some love a little hell. An angel and a devil on our shoulder Giving us the cell They have been doing things that make me feel like I'm alone Yeah, but I'm stepping over my wishful heart And I'm sinking in like a stone I'm stepping off of your crazy carousel Throwing everything I've got down a wishing well. Well, some like to rock and some like to roll. It's different strokes for different folks, and what makes someone's hit you may never know. you for anything you ever did I chose you cause I liked you but I ended up loving you instead I'm stepping off of this crazy carousel I'm tired of throwing everything I've got down a wishing man
myself I'm tired of throwing everything I've got down a wishing well